0: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 902. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with One Lenzinzi, Asanda Mazaunyane and Tami Kouza. In our top stories on Africa rise and shine at this hour, expectations shift to the AU summit to provide direction on the Burundi crisis, and Nigerian president on his first visit to Kenya. In economics news, South African President stands firm on new tax laws. And in sports news, Guinea and Tunisia qualify for quarterfinals of the Chan tournament in Rwanda. But first up, the news with Onelin Sinsi.
1: Thank you, Lulu. Sudanese president Omar al-Bashir has ordered the opening of his country's border with South Sudan for the first time since the South's secession in 2011. South Sudanese president Salva Kiir unexpectedly and unilaterally announced a normalization of relations on Tuesday in response to al-Bashir agreeing to cut the transit fees for South Sudanese all crossing Sudan's territory. Al-Bashir issued a decree ordering the relevant authorities to take all measures required to implement this decision on the ground. The trial of the former president of d'Ivoire Laurent Gbagbo, begins at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. He faces four counts of crimes against humanity relating to post-election violence in West African country in 2010. But chairperson of the Ivorian Popular Front in South Sudan, Emaziz Uzuzwa, says the case against Gbagbo is weak and unnecessary.
2: This is a conspiracy led by France against our president, against our nation. The reality is that after five years, there's no evidence to prove the allegation against our president, Rambabo. So what's he doing there? Because the principle of ICC said that after a year, if there's no evidence to prove the allegation they have against any accused person, he must be free. So they must, pre- they must free our president. That is all we want.
1: The second and last round of presidential poll in the Central African Republic, which had been scheduled for Sunday, has been postponed over organizational problems. The announcement comes after the country's top court on Monday declared invalid last month's first-round legislative vote over irregularities but said the second round of the presidential poll could go ahead. At a meeting in the capital Bangui, government, the electoral authority and international community representatives deliberated postponing the second round for February. 14th, the presidential and legislative elections had been seen as vital for restoring stability after years of religious violence. There has been no official confirmation of the date. Al Jazeera suing Egypt over its crackdown on the Qatar owned broadcasters, activists, and journalists following the 2013 overthrow of Islamist President Mohamed Morsi. The news network was widely seen as a mouthpiece for Mossi's Muslim Brotherhood group. After his 2013 overthrow, Egypt revoked Al Jazeera's press credentials, raided its offices and arrested several reporters. The network says Egypt's authority, Egyptian authorities have caused it to incur losses of over 150 million US dollars. And finally, the Traditional Healers Organization in South Africa says it is impossible for government to regulate the sector. It says it refuses to be dictated to on how to practice and use African medicines. This comes after government published the Traditional Health Practitioners Regulation in November last year. Part of the regulation stipulates that traditional healers and traditional medicines should be regulated. National Coordinator in the Organization, Pepisile Masego.
3: The regulations that were proposed last year are actually, they're not workable. It's regulations that have been formulated by people that wish to know us. They are very contradictory, they are very controversial. there will never be regulations of healers. I mean, there's no way that government can ever uh, regulate spirits. Because if government wants to regulate spirits, the one thing that I'll ask them is that, when are they going to have an equally uh, derogatory act that they do for, for the Christian community?
1: Channel Africa News, I'm Oneilin Thank
0: you, Oneilin. It's 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The UN Secretary General and Senior Security Council diplomats have expressed high expectations of African heads of state when they tackle the question of Burundi during the African Union summit in Addis Ababa this weekend. This follows the ins- intransigence of Burundi's government despite council pressure during a recent visit to the country for a return to talks and for the administration of PN Gurunzinza to allow an AU peacekeeping mission into the country. Show and Brass Peace reports.
4: With little achieved during the council visit to Burundi last week, the focus now shifts to Addis Ababa, with UN diplomats expressing hope heads of state will rise to the challenge. The UK's Ambassador Matthew Rycroft.
5: Expectations are high. Uh, It's an important moment for the African Union, having set out an ambitious proposal for a peacekeeping force. It's been rebuffed by President Nkurunziza. Uh, When we were there last week, we made the case for him to accept the deployment of an international presence. It doesn't necessarily have to be a full peacekeeping force. It could be observers, it could be monitors, building on uh, the few who are already there.
4: The United States Ambassador Samantha Power led the mission to Burundi.
6: We think it's extremely important that the uh, very scant international presence in Burundi be substantially expanded. That was a cri de corps that we heard from many of the individuals and organizations that we met with. You know, Please come, provide independent information, monitor what's going on.
4: She emphasized the importance of getting that international presence in place as soon as possible.
6: The mere presence itself can serve as a deterrent. Uh, it has in other in other circumstances. So we hope that the African Union will be successful in realizing the force that it has already authorized. It is going to require a shift in position on the part of the Burundian government, um, but with a unified African Union at a head-of-state level, we are hopeful that that such a shift may be forthcoming or that some kind of arrangement may be realized, uh, again, that would be acceptable to to the government of Burundi.
4: The Secretary General will make his final visit as UN chief to this year's summit and, like others, has called for a reduction in violence and a resumption of talks. His spokesperson, Stefan Duzeric.
7: He's very much uh, going uh, to the AU summit. It's something he looks forward to every year. Uh, It's a good opportunity for him to have a number of bilateral meetings uh, with African uh, leaders. Uh, Obviously, uh, Burundi and the situation in Burundi will be high on the agenda of his discussions uh, with various leaders. Uh, What he would like to see is uh, a reduction in the violence and the resumption of a political
4: and inclusive uh, political dialogue. All eyes will be on that AU Peace and Security Council meeting and how the members will proceed after Burundi's unequivocal rejection of its decision to authorise a 5,000-strong peacekeeping presence for the country. In addition, heads of state must also grapple with the slow implementation of the IGAD-led peace deal on South Sudan, with serious concerns expressed here just this week after parties failed to form a transitional government by a January 22nd deadline. I'm Sherwin Brycebees in New York.
0: Presidents Uhuru Kenyatta of Kenya, Muhammadu Bukhari of Nigeria, and Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud of Somalia have paid tribute to Kenyan defence soldiers who died over a week ago in Somalia. A three heads of state laid wreaths at a Fallen Heroes monument at the El Doret barracks in the west of, ca- of the country before attending an interdenominational service. The service came a day after Kenyan troops in Somalia moved their bases near the Kenyan border. An unknown number of Kenyan soldiers assigned to the African Union mission in Somalia, Amisom, were killed when Al-Shabaab militants overran their camp in El Ade, south of a country over a week ago. Sarah Kimani reports.
8: Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari is on his first state visit to Kenya. Together with his Somali counterpart, Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud, the leaders joined a solemn memorial service in honor of Kenya's fallen soldiers. Hundreds of Kenyan soldiers, some of them survivors of the ill-fated attack, and their families attended the interreligious service. The fallen soldiers were eulogized as heroes and patriots. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta.
9: When the enemy attacked, They fought with great bravery to defend their camp, to protect each other, and to defeat an enemy in a foreign land that threatens all of us here at home. Regrettably, many paid the ultimate price, and this is heartbreaking. As a parent, and also as their commander-in-chief, My heart once again goes out to them and to their families and loved ones.
8: While condoling those who lost their loved ones, Nigeria's President, Muhammad Buhari, had a reminder.
10: Terrorists should not have a place in our communities, villages, towns, cities, and countries. We must all arise against the culture of intolerance, hatred, and extremist ideologies, which drive terrorism. We must also be firm against radicalization.
8: Al-Shabaab militants detonated a suicide car bomb in El-Ade and then engaged Kenyan soldiers in a gunfight that lasted several hours. Kenya has declined to release the number of those killed until all remains have been identified and the relatives of the fallen soldiers informed. Both Amisom and Kenya have vowed to continue fighting the Al-Qaeda-linked militant group until Somalia is liberated. Somalia's president, Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud.
10: These barbaric devils, they don't have religion, they don't have moral of humanity at all. But we will definitely defeat them. We defeated them in the past. We are defeating them every day and we will defeat them finally in this part of the
2: world.
8: The African Union has at least 22,000 troops in Somalia battling the militants. This is the third attack on an African Union base in less than a year. The militants attacked Ugandan and Burundian troops last year, killing more than 100 soldiers drawn from both countries. Sarah Kimani, Kenya.
4: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
11: for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia.
4: Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel
9: Africa Blontaya. This is Lansana Fofana. Reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown.
2: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa.
9: Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinsaka. In Yawundi.
10: From an African perspective. Listen to Channel Africa. In English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
0: In ngatani, in Lesotho. Reporting for
9: Channel Africa. Mwai in Nairobi.
0: Join us every day and know what
10: is happening around you. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance.
0: It's 8.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now the Independent Institute for Security Studies yesterday launched two reports on the sidelines of the AU summit in Addis Ababa held under the theme of the African Year of Human Rights with a focus on the rights of women. The reports are based on a study of the daily experiences and coping strategies of the wives of both soldiers of the armed forces and those of rebel or militia members in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Our Addis Ababa-based correspondent, Koleta Wanjohi, attended the launch and filed this report. The
11: Institute of Security Studies has launched two reports highlighting the need for African governments to focus on helping women who are caught up in the front line of war because of what they feel is unavoidable circumstances and their desire to survive the conflict times. The reports are titled, Managing the Battle Space, Women on the Frontline in the Eastern DRC. According to the research, the protracted conflict in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo has taken an enormous toll on ordinary people and women in general continue to suffer not just as victims of gender-based and sexual violence, but also because of the increased burden of fending for their families while their men are away in war. And in other circumstances, women are forced to move everywhere with their men who are fighting. Stephanie Walters is the head of Conflict Prevention and Risk Analysis
12: Division at the Institute of Security Studies. Well one of the key challenges is is economic survival. Um, Congolese army soldiers are not very well paid often irregularly paid and so the wives do have to contribute to the economic maintenance of the family and finding economic activities in a new place. Um, Often you are moved around um, it can be difficult it's it's a challenge and so that's one issue. The other issue of course is in situations of chronic and stability, you also have challenges to health care, ac- access to health care, education for children. Children are often moved around very frequently. Um, in- education is interrupted for long periods of time. So some of the, those are some of the key survival challenges that people face.
11: The reports launched in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, highlight the fact that there seems to be a new trend of conflicts in Africa that have totally ignored the aspect of gender equality, where women would be expected to be part of the conflict resolution or be given priority when solutions are being sought. Analysts say that this may be because the conflict in Africa seem to be rotating around conflict for power and conflict for natural resources, ...aspects which ignore the gender sensitivity. Stephanie Walters, the head of Conflict Prevention and Risk Analysis Division... ...at the Institute of Security Studies says... ...that Africa may not for now have a way out of the challenge of women... ...continuing to be forced to be on the conflict front line. But a big change may happen if military and security policies... ...are
12: positively reformed in African countries. We do. I think it's... I mean, I wouldn't say we have a way out. It's more about trying to recognize that this population... does exist and that they do need to be paid attention to, and that policy needs to be addressed to them. Policy with regards to their situation needs to be developed, and I think that that's what we're trying to do: is call attention to this 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 group of people and point out their challenges, and really try. Uh to go for a holistic approach to things like DDR and SSR. And then, of course, it's also part of a bigger question when it comes to the army about army reform and professionalization of the army, allowing soldiers also to have normal lives, go on leave, and so on and so forth. So The Institute of Security Studies is planning
11: to do the same research on women on the war front line this year in the Central African Republic that is also suffering from long span of conflict for Channel Africa
0: Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. The South African Reserve Bank is expected to announce another interest rate hike this afternoon following the first Monetary Policy Committee meeting of the year. The MPC's decision could see the cost of credit climb. An increase would result in indebted consumers paying more. Most economists expect a 25 basis point increase and some even a 50 basis point increase due to a higher inflation outlook caused by a weaker RAND. Economists say today's statement is likely to lower the growth domestic product or GDP growth estimate and reflect on the worsening inflation outlook driven largely by drought, the weaker RAND and higher electricity tariffs. Chief economist at the financial consultancy firm Efficiency Group, Davi Root, says it's highly likely that there will be an increase.
13: I'm afraid, yes. There are a couple of reasons why I think that we can expect further interest rate increases. all the arguments for, against. The most important argument against a further hike in interest rates has to do with the South African economy that's really battling. But some factors that's actually suggesting that you should be increasing interest rates Our factors like, for example, especially the Americans that recently started increasing interest rates in the United States, and they are the biggest economy in the world, and whatever the Americans do in terms of monetary policy, many other economies, including South Africa, usually follow. Secondly, and you've mentioned this already, we have significant inflationary pressures building up in the South African economy because of factors like a weaker currency and, of course, the drug, and the only way that the Reserve Bank can combat this is, of course, by increasing interest rates. I think that since interest rates are going to go up, perhaps over the next couple of months, a couple of times, I think it will be better instead of going for only a 25 basis points increase, rather to go for a 50 basis points increase and get it over with. But I think that the Reserve Bank is probably going to be a little bit more cautious and probably only going to announce a 25 bits increase.
0: Now, Davi, just looking at uh, the country's economic outlook and uh, the fact that ratings agencies might move towards another downgrade, and obviously the next downgrade is junk status, is it as bad as it sounds? And what will the country need to do or government need to do to ensure that um, the country gets out of this economic downturn?
13: Well, I'm afraid really it is that bad. The South African economy, you, uh, there are some economists expecting economic growth around about 1%. The IMF reduced our economic f- growth forecast to about 0.7%. I'm not that optimistic. I think chances are quite good that the South African economy made that recession. What can be done to fix this? I'm afraid there are two broad things that we need to fix this. One is we need to make certain structural adjustments in the South African economy. We have to do something about labor legislation, we have to make it easy to trade in South Africa, we have to have policy clarity and the like. And the second thing that we need to do, we have to somehow get confidence back in South Africa. Now, we know what happened at the end of last year with the firing of the Minister of Finance and the reaction by the financial markets because of that. But that's the sort of stuff that we don't need. So we need clarity, certainty and we need we need to create an environment that's conducive and friendly to investments. And at the moment there's a lot of uncertainty his political uncertainty, there's policy uncertainty, and all of that is weighing against things like the currency and eventually against the economic growth.
0: Davi, let's look at uh, Brent crude oil and uh, the low prices currently. Now, the struggling Chinese markets have had a negative impact as well on the country's economy. Could South Africa have avoided this?
13: Could we have avoided the situation in which we are at the moment? Without a doubt, yes. What we saw, especially from 2008, is that world, or the central banks in the world, like the Federal Reserve, and the Japanese, and the Europeans, they really reduced interest rates to very, very low levels. And internationally, interest rates are still very, very low. The result of that was a wave of money that went to emerging economies, including South Africa, and we saw the rand appreciating quite nicely. Now, that was an opportunity to correct certain structural deficiencies in South Africa. We did not do that. We did not make amendments and changes to policies and then make certain structural changes that we could have done. Not a tide has changed. We suddenly realized that our fiscal accounts are unsustainable. Interest rates are going to go up now. The rand is under tremendous pressure. The capital is flowing out of South Africa. Not only South Africa, many other countries, especially emerging economies. And now it's so much more difficult to make the adjustments and changes that we need to have. So it's better to make changes to your economy when you are in charge. We are not in charge at the moment. The global financial markets are uh, unstable. Capital is leaving South Africa, and now we are forced to make certain adjustments, which will include an increase in interest rates. Unfortunately, we had the opportunity. We squandered it, and now we're going to pay a very clear price for that.
0: With the imminent possible basis point hike this afternoon being announced yeah. by the MPC, what is this likely going to do with regards to the markets? What what sort of reaction are we likely to expect?
13: Yeah. Well, I think it's to an extent already pricing in the exchange rate with the currency but if a fifty points increase, I think the rent will appreciate. But it's probably gonna be negative to of course for consumers, people that own money, but it's gonna be positive for people that live on interest. All in all, it's probably going to be negative economic growth in the short term, but in the longer term, it will support the economy.
0: And that was Davi Root, Chief Economist at the Financial Consultancy Firm Efficiency Group. As the state drags its feet in trying to outlaw the old and existing statutes, Zimbabwean constitutional courts are now inundated with various challenges, including the death and life imprisonment. This is meant to push the Zimbabwean government to align all the 400 laws with the new constitution adopted in 2013. Yesterday, the constitutional court heard an application by prominent human rights lawyer Tandai Beattie seeking to have life imprisonment passed with parole, meanwhile ruling the ruling in the matter where the existence of the death sentence has been further postponed indefinitely until all the judges who heard the matter reconvene in both matters. BT argues that both the death sentence and life imprisonment with parole is torture. More from our correspondent Simon Mima in Harare.
2: In Zimbabwe, a sentence of life imprisonment does not have parole. Convicted murderers who are not sentenced to death are often sentenced to life imprisonment, and no matter the circumstances in prison, they are not pardoned. In Zimbabwe, for a convicted person to be released, the prerogative lies in the hands of the president. Although the Constitution is silent on how prisoners Saving life sentences are supposed to be treated. Obediah Makoni, a prisoner who has so far saved 21 years of his lifetime, says he is reformed and deserves pardon. Meanwhile, Makoni says he wishes the powers to pardon are not vested in the president but the judiciary. Human rights lawyer and former finance minister Tendai Biti argued soon after the matter was indefinitely postponed by the constitutional court
5: Wednesday. Well, we are basically saying that uh, the issue of people's rights cannot be left to what uh, one judge, Justice Mohammed, uh, stated in a famous Namibian case. They cannot be left to the capriciousness of executive indulgence and executive uh, discretion. It is, the court's, it is the role of judges and courts to protect and assert uh, people's rights. So executive clemency defined and given in Section 112 of the Zimbabwean Constitution is absolutely uh, meaningless. And by the way, it is also applied very selectively and very subjectively. Obedaya Makoni, who
2: is saving a life sentence, argues that it amounts to cruel and inhuman punishment to keep him in prison without any hope of release on parole on good behavior or repentance and reform. Prison conditions in Zimbabwe are so severe that a long sentence may be tantamount to a death warrant. Makon argues that keeping him in prison until he dies through neglect or starvation is
5: equally cruel and inhuman, be it said. It It simply means that, well, look, they they have to reserve judgment. It's an important matter, just like the Muzuri one last week. We argued that on the twentieth, sorry, 15th of January, 2015, they gave judgment a year later. These are not easy things at all. They are not easy things. This is like the World Cup of Law. So they have to research, just like we have to research. I can tell you that I've had slept for three days just preparing for the oral presentation, never mind the preparation of the, of the court papers. So this is not easy at all. And I stand there in 20 minutes trying to summarize, you know, Mauritius, whatever, whatever, whatever German and so forth so they have to reserve judgment because these are not easy these are not easy uh, issues they are very complicated issues.
2: BT argues that life imprisonment without parole is in contravention of the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights, ICCPR, and other international agreements to which Zimbabwe is a party. Meanwhile, Cuthbert Chawira and 14 other prisoners on death parole might take long to hear the outcome of an application in which they are
5: seeking the
2: scraping of the death penalty.
5: The constitution is very silent on these things. So it becomes a question of interpretation. The constitution says a person is entitled to the right to human dignity. The constitution says that uh, no one shall be subjected to torture, cruel, or degrading treatment. That's what the constitution... So we, we you then measure what the constitution says with the facts. So last uh, two weeks ago, in the case of kadbert Chawira, and others, we were arguing that failure to execute prison sentence to capital punishment timelessly becomes cruel and therefore in breach of of Section 53. Also, it's a breach of his uh, right to human dignity. We are hopefully for a confident outcome. You can't just put me in prison for life and throw away the kids, the keys as it were. That also becomes so cruel because that punishment becomes disproportionate to what I would
2: have uh, done. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
10: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Onilin Tzinti.
1: An F-16 fighter jet crashes in Egypt during a training drill in an undisclosed location in the country, killing the entire crew. Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir orders the opening of his country's borders with South Sudan for the first time since the South secession in 2011. And Gambian President Yaya Jamey fires three government ministers in a department reshuffle. Channel Africa News, I'm on Sinti.
0: Thank you, Onele. As the Gauteng Health Department in South Africa reports two more cases of typhoid fever in the province, the National Institute for Communicable Diseases has called for South Africans not to panic, saying there is no outbreak. This latest infections bring the total number of cases reported to six in a space of just a few days. The disease has so far claimed the life of one person. Professor Lucille Bloomberg is Deputy Director at the NICD. Look,
14: I think we need to understand that there are you know, more than 100 cases normally reported every year in South Africa. So typhoid is not entirely unusual. There is a seasonal increase in January, often related to travel, often to neighboring countries. So I think what we're seeing is not something uh, different to previous years.
3: Now, for the benefit of some of our listeners, Professor, who may not know, what exactly is typhoid and who can get it?
14: So it's a specific carrier, so it's a, a germ, a bacterial germ. It's um, called Salmonella typhi and that's the specific name and it comes from humans. So there will be a very small percentage of the population who might have had typhoid recovered but become chronic carriers and um, they can shed the bacteria in their still and they can infect other people through usually poor hygiene because the bacteria is found in the feces and then through food preparation or getting to the water supply, which is an informal one, you can infect other people. Um, But anybody who is ill from typhoid or is a carrier has a risk of passing it on to other people through generally poor hygiene practices.
3: You spoke about the fact that typhoid is not unusual in South Africa. Where in the country does it normally occur?
14: Well, we see it, uh, in fact, we see a couple of cases everywhere in the country. So, you know, I think what was noticed in, in Kharting that over quite a short period, it was probably about a week, there were four cases and one of the cases died. And I think the alarm was raised and, you know, prompted an investigation. But um, an outbreak would be where you have large number of cases from a common source. So it's important, a uh, food and water is a common source. So it's important to follow up all confirmed cases of typhoid to see where they may have acquired it. So if it looks like it's a common water or a food source and there are a number of people involved, one would consider that to be an outbreak. But that wasn't the case here.
3: Now, there's a lot of confusion around this disease, Professor. Does it also affect animals?
14: No, there is no origin in animals and it does not cause illness in animals. There is a, a different kind of salmonella that is absolutely animal-related. Salmonella typhi, affects people, and has its origin
3: in people. Remind us again, what are some of the signs and symptoms that people need to look out for? So they're very non-specific, and that's the
14: problem. You know, headache, high fever, cold shivers, hot sweats, tiredness, abdominal pain uh, would be important uh, symptoms. We need to remember that, you know, those are, are not specific to typhoid. And there are a lot of other infectious diseases, actually more common ones, that are important to consider in this region, particularly at this time of the year, that are not typhoid. And I think malaria is the most important one. So it's a season. also presents with fever, headache, cold, with hot sweats, flu-like illness. It's treacherous. It's rapidly progressive. And it's the most important one to think of. Diagnose quickly and treat urgently at this time People who've travelled or live in malaria
3: areas How is it diagnosed?
14: So malaria is diagnosed on a a blood test And it can be done quite quickly And sometimes you have to repeat it more than once Typhoid is also diagnosed on a very special blood test Mm. And it looks very much the same So, you know, I think if you have a patient with fever, headache, they may or may not have traveled, you have to consider typhoid. But if there's a travel history or they live in a malaria area, malaria has to be number one because, you know, it's treatable. I think what we didn't mention was you find typhoid in the feces of humans who are infected and then um, these poor hygienists can contaminate water and food. So that is the usual source. It's not
3: easily person-to-person directly. Also touch on some of the treatment options of typhoid. How is it treated?
14: So it is, uh, antibiotics are effective. You need to use some specific antibiotics. It may not be the ones that you use for full throats or, or ears or pneumonia, but they respond uh, well to antibiotics. There is a little bit of resistance to some antibiotics, but we still have very effective ones.
3: How can the disease be prevented, Professor?
14: It's really about safe water supplies and it's about good hygiene. Obviously, people must wash their hands after toilets and absolutely before they prepare food, especially if the food is not going to be cooked. High heat will um, actually destroy typhoid, the typhoid germ in food. And then it's about having good um, ablution, sanitation, and clean water.
3: For someone who's listening to us right now and wants to know more about typhoid, where can they go to find more information?
14: Well, you know, I think if they have a high fever and headache, they really need to seek urgent care. At a clinic or their doctor, mention that they may have traveled and raise the possibility of malaria, number one, and the possibility of typhoid. I think people are thinking a lot more about typhoid now because the profile is raised, but malaria is still the commonest one. For more information, we have a a website where there's a lot of commonly asked questions and hopefully good answers. It's www.nicd.ac.za.
0: That was Professor Lucille Bloomberg, Deputy Director at the National Institute of Communicable Diseases in South Africa, speaking to Elizabeth Lidija. The transformation of South Africa's economy is moving at a very slow pace. A good example is a story of two black business entrepreneurs, women, who have broken into the traditionally white male-dominated agricultural industry. It has taken years and persistent effort and the ability to bounce back and keep going, which resulted in the production of a sophisticated 100% alcohol-free sparkling grape juice, which is listed in supermarkets across the country and sold in Dubai's biggest supermarket chain. Sylvana Dantu, co-owner of the African Equations producer of Zari Sparkling Wines, explains.
7: Okay, I'll tell you about my wine. So I've had a company for 18 years and based in Cape Town and we've always been involved in tourism development. And over the years we noticed that obviously South Africa is the seventh largest producer of wine in the world and quite a significant producer of grape juice. But sadly, grape juice is the little-known and unappreciated stepchild in the winelands. You know, you hardly ever hear of people promoting grape juice, but you know everything about South African wines. And we thought, you know, this is quite strange, especially since South Africa has become a tourism destination, particularly for the Middle Eastern countries and people from Africa. They want to visit our winelands, but what do we then offer them as an alternative to wine if that is not an option for people who don't drink alcohol for either religious reasons or for health reasons? So we started exploring the winelands and we went all the way to the Northern Cape when we thought we looked at the kind of grape juices that are being produced. And we were very impressed to discover that there are actually over 100 grape juices in the market, but mostly they are very poor quality and they're not beautifully presented and the farmers who own those brands don't invest much money in the marketing and presentation. So we decided to go on a mission to develop a premier brand grape juice which is referred to as non-alcoholic wine in the Middle East. We decided to go on ...produce something that would be on par with the best South African export wines. And after two years of research, we came up with a recipe and we approached a wine estate to work with us and we then produced our product called Zari. It's spelled Z-A-R-I... And zari, in India, it's pronounced ziri. And ziri is the golden thread that you would find in a piece of kind of Persian fabric, like a sari. So the metaphor is that this is of good quality and it has integrity.
9: What would you say has been the challenges when it comes to breaking into the traditionally white male-dominated agriculture industry in South Africa?
7: Ah, there have been many many challenges. We started our journey in 2009 and the first thing we did was, you know, when you're trying to get into retail, you have to find and secure a producer. You have to have a producer's agreement from an established wine estate so that you can guarantee consistency. And to try and get an agreement with a quality brand is quite difficult because, you know, transformation has been very, very slow in the wine industry. The industry is still dominated by whites and by the the traditionally, you know, the people who have owned wine estates and the agri industry traditionally. So, you know, you've got to go through nurturing relationships. It's very time-consuming. You've got to have money to get your brand growing. And so, you know, you've got to really work hard at the relationship before you can be taken seriously. So it's extremely difficult to secure a producer, let alone secure an ownership in the wine industry. My business partner and I have had our business for 18 years, and we consider ourselves to be a small, medium-sized business. And we are two black women. And when we've approached at least four established companies after negotiating with them for many months in fact in some instances years they would finally turn around and say look we'd be happy to help you produce but we're certainly not prepared to go into any sort of partnership we're not ready for transformation so from that point of view it's really really difficult and then in another instance you know if you're trying to access your retail market if you want to get into the big significant retailers You've got to have distribution with established logistics people. And unless you're an established brand in partnership with a big company, they won't even consider
15: distributing your product.
9: In the region of Southern Africa, including other areas of uh, the continent, have you ventured so far with regards to the promotion or selling of these Zari sparkling wines?
7: I'm one of these people that I'm on the 24-hour work shift here, you see, because I spend all my time writing to various agents and so on. So we've attended some shows in Africa. We've been to the Congo, Brazzaville, We have been to Nigeria. We have worked with agents in Nigeria, Ghana. We're busy working with someone in Morocco right now. So through the DTI, we have promoted our product we are not present in any of the african countries officially as yet as you know you know you've got to work through various agencies and it takes a while to build up a trusted relationship with agents and distributors so that's one big challenge and then of course in a country like nigeria where we would love to be you know it's quite expensive to get your product registered and so on but we are in the process of doing that But we see Africa as a huge market for our products. And as I say, you know, the Congo we've been to, you know, we'd love to get into Ghana, we'd love to get into Nigeria particularly, we see that as a wonderful market for our product. It's also, we know from our travels in Africa that there's a huge emerging middle class who are looking for quality, who enjoy, you know, the good brands And, yeah, and there's
0: such loyalty to South Africa in terms of wines. That was Silvana Dantu, co-owner of African Equations, speaking to Wandile Kalipa.
4: would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus 27823325905 or email us it's at info at channelafrica.org you can also tell us via facebook or tweet us on the handle at channelafrica numerical one or write to us at the address p.o box 91313 auckland park johannesburg 2006 republic of south africa We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
3: To get to know
16: Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views
11: and great African entertainment.
9: Bonjour you can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel
3: 902. Channel
9: Africa.
0: The voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.45 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our economics update up next with Asanda Matsawanyan.
16: Good morning. Thursday sees the commencement of the Powering Africa Summit in Washington, where U.S. government officials, African energy experts, and private sector companies are meeting on issues of advancing access to electricity in Africa. The Power Africa Roadmap, which outlines how Power Africa partners will reach U.S. President Barack Obama's goals of adding 30,000 new megawatts of cleaner electricity generation and connecting 60 million homes and businesses to electricity in sub-Saharan Africa will be top of the agenda. They will also discuss the Power Africa tracking tool, a mobile application that provides previously unavailable data to increase transparency and drive more deals in the African energy sector. The summit will conclude on Friday. South Africa's ruling party, the ANC, has held its annual Likotla conference where it's called for bold government action to grow the economy and avert the possibility of another credit rating's downgrade. Economic growth is forecast to be less than 1% this year. ANC Secretary-General Que de Mandashe says they are also concerned about the power utilities application for a 16.6% hike in electricity costs as affordable electricity is key to economic growth. Mandashe She elaborates on South Africa's trade agreements.
9: There must be a review of all trade agreements entered into by the democratic government since 1999. The review must assess economic impact and the extent to which the agreement advances South Africa's economic interest. Government must be alive to the need for an exit strategy where agreements have have a potential to defeat the core objective which is to expand, increase and grow our domestic industries and markets
16: debate rages on about the new tax laws coming into effect in South Africa on March 1st following the announcement that they'll be reviewed after two years. The laws limit lump sum payouts to workers to one third of their pensions and forces them to convert the rest into retirement annuities. Trade unions in the country, Kosato and NUMSA, have threatened mass action over the laws. However, another trade union, Fedusa, says the government has a right to come up with tax laws. Producer's Dennis George.
13: We had uh, broad discussions on this taxation bill. And for us, the most important thing is that, you know, we felt as producer that it, it's important that um, the retirement funds and the taxation on retirement funds should be dealt with one particular bill and not have two different regimes. And 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 therefore, you know, we we don't have any problems with the implementation of the poll, and we felt that it's important to implement the poll straight
16: away. Growth in world trade is slowing as the slump in commodity prices and a faltering economy in China combine to restrict shipments of manufactured items and raw materials around the globe. According to the Netherlands Bureau of Economic Policy Analysis, world trade volumes rose by just 1.5% in the three months between September and November last year, compared with the same period a year earlier. Volumes are growing at some of the slowest rates reported since the global financial crisis in 2008-2009 and before that the U.S. recession in 2000-2001 and the Asian financial crisis of 1997-1998. The slowdown in trade is hitting demand of all forms of transportation. Toyota and Daihatsu will decide on Friday if Toyota will make the Japanese mini-vehicle maker a wholly owned subsidiary. Toyota on Wednesday said it was considering buying out the rest of Daihatsu in which the world's largest automaker owns a 51.2% stake. Buying out the rest of the Daihatsu would cost Toyota roughly 3 billion US dollars. Looking at the market, the South African rand is trading at sixteen forty-nine to the U.S. dollar, eleven forty-four to the Botswana pula, and eleven eighteen to the Zambian kwacha. It's also trading at zero point seventy British pound and zero point nine two euros. In the commodities, gold is at one thousand one hundred twenty-two dollars and platinum at eight hundred and seventy-eight dollars an ounce, while Brent crude oil is thirty-one dollars twelve cents a barrel. Channel Africa Economics, Sam Asanda Mthunyane.
0: Thank you, Asanda. Our sports update up next with Tammy Kluza.
9: In your sport, although all group team matches have failed to produce a winner in their final round of the 2016 CAF African Nations Championship on Wednesday, Zambia and Mali are through to the knockout stages. Both matches were staged simultaneously and the group leaders, Polo faced the, the Eagles of Mali and the match produced a goalless draw. In the other match, a late striker by Jeffrey and ensured that Uganda and Zimbabwe played out to a one-all draw during their final of the 2016 CAF African Nations Championship Group D encounter on Wednesday afternoon at the Umuganda Stadium. South Africa's national women's soccer team, Banyana Banyana, are in the second week of their first phase of the preparations for the Rio Olympic Games set for August in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Banyana coach Vera Pau says that she aims to use the little of underdogs to the surprise package of the tournament.
12: Our target is that we want to make an impact over there. We want that after the Olympics nobody's ignoring us anymore. We are the team that nobody knows, um, we, are, we have the players that nobody knows, and after the Olympics that will be behind us. Because I'm absolutely sure that the, the core of this group is better than many players that have professional contracts at the moment. So I do hope that the lives of the players really change that they will sign contracts support after the Olympics.
9: FIFA presidential candidate Jerome Champagne says that one of the first things he will do if he wins his bid next month is to re-examine the dates for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, proposing to move the tournament back from November and December to late spring. Champagne says that he would consider a top priority to put back the dates of the 2022 World Cup on table if he wins his bid
5: absolutely sensible and if i'm elected president i will reopen the issue because i want to defend the european leagues but not only the european leagues all around the world we need to reassess this question yeah.
9: and finally former open champion louis austin is a joint leader in today two of the commercial bank at Amastas. he has an impressive son and a par after a round of 65 in windswept conditions and level with Pablo Nick reports.
4: Being brought up on the South African coast and considering his open pedigree, it's no surprise that Ustazen was licking his lips at the prospect of a blustery week. He has a remarkable record for starting the year too, having won his first event in four of the last five seasons. Lara Tharbol, too, loves challenging conditions. The former French Open champion relishes the wind, and he can reflect on an excellent bogey-free start when he hits 17 greens in regulation. The two are one clear of the field, with the likes of George Katsia and twice-winner Paul Laurie only two strokes back. Sergio Garcia and the defending champion Brandon Grace are two under par.
9: And Pablo Tharbol hopes for better chances as conditions looks good.
3: With these conditions, is is very good, and uh, I put myself uh, with, in in a lot of of birdie chances, and uh, and uh, that was that was key. I mean, to to have uh, always uh, a birdy putt is 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 key.
9: That's the end of our sport and Petululu, to Lulu
10: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, so. Africa, amuka na unai.
0: Great, that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Adrian Kenny and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info@channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Now taking us to our top of the hour for the news is WizKid Kid with a track titled Ojuelegba. It's Legendary Beats.